that movie was like life shattering, I swear. And, and that's the brilliance of it. It's no wonder that that film shattered so many records and had me ugly crying like seven times because we can't get enough of it. It's like nothing we've ever seen before. Never have we seen so many stories and personalities and conflicts, all of which were written and directed by different people, all somehow culminating in a single moment where the hero gives up everything to save the world. Except... We have seen this before. In fact, there's a story that's far more impressive and far more beautiful and far more satisfying. And unlike the Avengers storyline, this story is real. And it's the most real story there's ever been. It's God's story. And friends, God's story is the one story that started in eternity past and even right now is existing in eternity future. But yet in the middle of all that, we're right here in this moment. We're part of it. But how do we know this story? Well, God gave us his word. God gifted us with the ability to know the story. And in this Bible, his word, the scriptures, This story is beautifully and clearly and sufficiently communicated. 66 books written over thousands of years in the midst of unprecedented conflicts, unimaginable moments in history, dozens of different authors all inspired by the same Holy Spirit in unique cultures, different languages, all culminating in one single moment where the Son of God shows up, God became man, went after sinners with a relentless compassion, struggled against the powers he came to defeat, and suffered as he went to the cross to lay down his life. This is a story of an unexpected hero laying down his glory also that he could redeem the world that was lost. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about tonight redemption, and how that plays out in God's story. And something that's become very clear to me over the last couple years, especially in our youth culture, is just there's, there's so many stories out there that we're constantly being fed. Our life is really just a collection of stories. We're living a story um, stories are influencing our life, and, and whether it's through social media or the news or cultural movements, maybe it's even in your own head. Wherever it is, we are constantly consuming and creating more and more of these stories, and I think it's far more than any other generation before us. And so the problem with this is that these stories or these narratives that our culture is creating are really just brutal attempts at trying to make sense of our broken world that we live in. And I don't need to explain what I mean when I say broken world, friends. We've seen it. The last few weeks here at Next, we've had moments where we've acknowledged the hurt and the pain in our community. And so the the world will try to give you answers and give you these stories to satisfy you. But it's all just the same as we saw last week in Genesis 1 and 2. 
See, it's the powers of this world right now through our culture telling us things like ultimate truth doesn't exist. They tell us stories like God doesn't exist, that we got here by accident. Stories like there's no standard for morality or dignity. That what we feel determines who we are and our identity. That happiness and prosperity is the only thing that will satisfy us. Friends, they're feeding us stories and asking us to live into a world where people are objects and they were created for our gratification They want us to live into a story where what we want to do must be what is right for us at all times. That we can simply be anything we want to be no matter how we were created. And friends, they want us to believe the lie that all roads lead to the same destination. These are the stories we're being fed. And you guys know them because you live among them and you live in them. And I think that as you guys grow up, you're realizing that these stories fall short. That they don't deliver the results that they promise for your life. And I believe very passionately that this generation is rejecting the stories the world is giving them. For so long, these stories have attempted to satisfy our deepest longings or try to offer us solutions for the problems that we know exist in the world or in our hearts, but they end up leading us to believe that we know better than the one who authored the universe. And see, what happens in that is that the narrative of our life becomes all about us and how we feel and what we think is true, and ultimately, it becomes a cycle of disappointment because the stories that make up our lives don't live up to the expectations that we had or that we had hoped for. And so, friends, tonight, we must reject the stories and believe a better one. We're in this series called The Story of Everything. It's kind of hard to cover everything in three weeks, um, but it's all about God's story. And in this series, we're covering specifically four main movements of something called the meta narrative. I don't know if you know what that means. I didn't know what it meant until like last year, so I'm new to this too. But basically, meta narrative means overarching story. And it's as simple as that. And, and I want to be very clear. I said it's as simple as that, but it's not that simple. Um, I'm going to try to cover in 20 minutes what we could spend a year on, walking through the entire story that God has written. Um, but tonight, I just want to give you guys a little bit of a primer to really just get your mind thinking about what God has done, what God is doing in our world. And so over the next 20-ish minutes, I just want to spend time talking about four aspects of this third movement of the four. Last week, Zane talked about creation and fall. The third movement of the meta narrative is redemption. Um, and the, the four things are this, the promise of redemption, the purpose of redemption, the price of redemption, and the plan of redemption. So let's open back up to where Zane was last week. Uh, first couple pages of your Bible, real simple, Genesis 3. We're going to go to verse 14. And last week, we saw, we read, as God created 
beautifully and with intentionality and purpose. Um, and he, he breathed this story into existence. But then shortly after, we saw that the evil of Satan distorted and, man, and manipulated God's word by giving humanity a counterfeit story to believe. I think, I, I think it's crazy. Uh, Adam and Eve were created in the image of God and in his likeness, it says. And then Satan goes, do you want to be like God? And so Satan manipulates Adam and Eve into thinking, hey, I can be like God in a world where they were already in his likeness. And, and it's that distortion of the truth that ultimately allowed sin to enter the world through their disobedience. And so we're going to pick up verse 14. Like I said, um, follow along on the screen, open your Bible, whatever you got to do. Um, it says this. This is God's response to everything that just happened. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Friends, my first point tonight is that the promise of redemption is fully dependent on God. All right, so humanity disobeys God. They go against exactly what he told them not to do. But God's first move is not to just simply com condemn humanity. Uh, but God's first move is actually to condemn the one who deceived them and then promise redemption right there. So let's take a look. Verse 15, it says, He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is something that we call, or we call, I don't know, I call, scholars call, the proto-evangelium. The proto-evangelium. Just a little plug, if you sign up for Gospel 101, we're going to talk about the proto-evangelium. You can figure out what that means. But I'll tell you right now, proto-evangelium is just a nerdy word that says uh, the first gospel. And by referring to verse 15 as the first gospel, it does not mean that it is a different gospel. But it means that this is the first time that the gospel shows up in the scriptures. And so it's real important. So God says to the serpent, her offspring will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Friends, that's about Jesus. Page three of our Bible is about Jesus. It says, the offspring of Eve is promised in this moment of condemnation. The offspring of Eve is Jesus. And at the end there, it does say that the serpent will strike his heel. And what that means is that the descendant of Eve will suffer a blow from the enemy, but he will not be conquered. That's the cross. Rather, he will ultimately conquer the evil one by crushing his head. And that's the resurrection. When Jesus defeats and conquers the enemy by taking down his biggest weapon, which is death, um, by raising from the grave. And so, there's Jesus, friends, on page three. You thought it was like two-thirds of the way? No, it's right here. Genesis 3.15. You see, in 2023, we have the privilege of getting to look back in history and see the cross and see Jesus pretty clearly. And so we know for certain that God has accomplished what he said he would do. But there was thousands of years of history between Genesis 3.15 and Matthew 1 where God's people could not see clearly what God was doing. You guys got a glimpse of it during that bumper video. I love that bumper video. Um, 
God was writing a story of redemption, and he wasn't hiding it. Like, it was out there for his people to see. He was constantly reminding them of who he is and what he's doing. And you can just flip through the pages of Scripture and see Jesus. You can see God taking Genesis 3.15 and moving that promise to fulfillment. He set them free from slavery. He established a stubborn and idolatrous nation in a land they did not deserve. He brought them back from exile. He defeated their enemies for them, and he used broken and sinful people to carry out his mission of bringing Jesus at the perfect time. You can see how he's moving. You can see how his story of redemption is moving. And so we see that for, for all of time, humanity has had no choice but to wait on the Lord him to carry out his promise. And that's true for us today. Even, even though we see Jesus, even though we see the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan, even though we see the offspring who has struck the enemy down, we're still fully dependent on God to keep that promise. We can't become Christian enough. We can't become good enough. We can't become lovable enough for anything other than God's promise to be our security. And I want to ask you tonight, friends, are you depending on God's promise of redemption? Or are you trying to make it out on your own? Are you depending on God's promise of redemption? My hunch is that a lot of us, especially as young people, we often fall into one of two ditches that ultimately resists dependence in our lives. And the two ditches are entitlement and abandonment. All right, so entitlement is a mindset that can cause us to believe that the redemption God has given to us was actually owed to us in the first place. We walk through life and we expect that because the world is full of difficulty, God owes us the gospel. That God owes us a way out of this brokenness. And this can easily lead to a life of apathy towards God and, and, and apathy towards your calling to be the church and be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so, freshman boys, what do I always say? Sophomore boys, whoever's over there, we don't ever graduate from the gospel. That's going after entitlement. We don't graduate from the gospel. We need it every day. Entitlement to God and his promises will strip you of your dependence and rob you of the joys of being in relationship with the God who redeemed you. Entitlement will strip your dependence and it'll strip your joy from relationship with the God who redeemed you in spite of your entitlement. And the other ditch is, uh, the other ditch is abandonment. This is my ditch. Abandonment resists dependence because it teaches you to figure everything out on your own. And so whether you come from a broken home, if divorce is part of your story, uh, people you care deeply about have left you, feeling unlovable, like you're not enough, man, abandonment, if you don't surrender to the Lord, it'll bring you to a place where, where your dependence is stripped away. 
I often don't even know what dependence on the Lord looks like, um, to be honest, friends. And, and I know that he is faithful to change that. And he's faithful to change that for you. And he's faithful to change and redeem and restore the entitled. You see, everything that feels messed up about your life, everything that feels wrong like it needs to change, all the things that seem broken or out of place or unhealthy, is all evidence that we cannot make it out on our own and that we do not belong here. We were not made for a broken world, but for a perfect world where we dwell with a perfect God. And our hope, our only hope is to wholly depend on him to restore the entitled and the abandoned to a world where there is no entitlement or abandonment. So my second point tonight is that the purpose of redemption is restoration. The purpose of redemption is restoration. Let's take a look at the next part of this passage, verse 16. Um, God is now addressing humanity. Let's look at this. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. I will, you will bear children with painful effort. I will not be bearing children, just so you know. Um, your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat, the, you will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. You are dust, and you will return to dust. Life is hard. Life is really hard. You see, we're promised that in a world where sin exists, it will not be easy. And friends, I want you to see here that when humanity buys into a story that is not God's story, it does not go well. When we as people created in God's image try to live a life that is not God's intention for us, it does not go well. And it's no wonder so many of the stories that this world is trying to feed the next generation, you guys, myself, there's no surprise that they're so unsatisfying. See, removing God from the narrative does not bring freedom, but it actually introduces death. You see, in this passage, we see that the things God created men and women to do, to fill the earth, to work, we see, we see those things become gruesomely hard as a result of disobeying and rejecting God. See, bearing, bearing children was never meant to be a curse for women. It was meant to be a blessing. And working was never meant to be a curse for men. It was meant to be a blessing. In fact, childbearing and working existed before sin existed. How awesome is it that God created us in his image, who is a creator of life, giving women the gift of creating life, who is a worker who creates beautiful things, who sustains life, gives that to us, the ability to do that. And like I said, when we believe other stories, when we give in to lesser stories, and when we take God out of the narrative... 
There's consequences. God created us to partake in, in our role as image bearers and partner with him. And we decided to go another way. But we can remember in verse 15, the proto-evangelium. Someone's going to spell it right. As we live in a world that is represented by verse 16 through 19, we can remember verse 15. Because God immediately declared the promise of redemption. So we can know that God had the intention of restoration. He desires to make things right, even though we don't deserve it. He desires to heal our hearts of the sickness of sin. He desires to make this world new again, and he desires to restore us to himself in a relationship. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself because we will talk about restoration next week. But truly, redemption is the thing that connects the brokenness and the hopelessness that we feel today to the healing and the freedom of a restored creation in the future. And so this third part of this narrative, this good news. And restoration, next week's thing, is so important to God that he himself became man so that he may take on the burden of death that we are all responsible for bearing. And so when we trust in him, when we reject the stories that we're believing every day and trust that his story is true and better, that Jesus Christ paid for everything we owe, he restores us. That's the God we believe in. He's unapproachable in our sin. But he approaches us and makes everything right again. And so that's good news. And it's free for you. You can have that for free. But it's costly for him. Look at verse 21. The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. Just like verse 15, friends, this passage right here is a foreshadowing of Jesus. I hope you see it. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, they were immediately filled with shame. They wanted to hide from God. They did not want to be seen. They were exposed. How many of you feel like that with the Lord? You don't want to be seen. You don't want to be known. But in God's love, he covers them. It says he covers them with clothing made from skins. In other words, a life had to be sacrificed in order to cover the shame of God's people. But this sacrifice was not perfect. An animal's skin could, not, could cover their physical body and, and remove their external shame, but the true problem goes beyond the physical. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Death is earned. That's what that means. When you go to work at Chick-fil-A, like 90% of you, you get, you, you work, and you do your job, and then you get paid a wage. And Romans 6.23 says your wage is death. You have earned death. Eternal separation from God, which is separation from life. Because there is no life apart from God. 
Next couple of verses. Verse 22. The Lord God said, Since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. Man must not live forever, God says. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming, whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. They were cast out of God's presence. They were cast out of the perfection of Eden, and they were cast out from their source of eternal, perfect life. And now separation from God is the condition that all of us are born into. All of humanity is born into a condition where we are separated from God. And yet God, in his sovereignty, he had a plan. A plan that would not allow for death to win. And with that, my third point tonight is that the price of redemption is a perfect sacrifice. The price of redemption is a perfect sacrifice. You know, I think there's some people in this room who have been saying week after week here at Next, something's got to change. Something's got to change. I got to change. What if a man named Jesus paid a really high price so that he could redeem you? That's the question I'm asking tonight. If that's you, I'm asking you that. The price of redemption is a perfect sacrifice. See, when God clothed Adam and Eve in this moment, we see even further into the redemption story that God is writing. We begin to understand that all along our redemption would require a high price to get us back to where we belong. To fix all that stuff that is so broken about us. It would require a high price, a price so high that no man or no woman could pay and we can, we can see clearly now that the price was the life of God himself. Given up as a sacrifice. Bearing the burden of death that each one of us was destined to carry. And this is the beauty of the gospel, friends. That the one true God, weeping and bleeding and dying on our behalf, so that we might be restored to him. Who can comprehend that? Friends, I think if we see that clearly, it would be irresistible. That that grace and that love would be irresistible if we just opened our eyes and saw it. And in God's story, we see the brilliance of it on every single page of Scripture. Every book, every author, every moment, all points to the sacrifice of Jesus. Whether it's the Proto-Evangelium in Genesis 3.15, or it's the sacrifice of Isaac in Genesis 22, maybe it's the Passover in Exodus, maybe it's the sacrificial system given to the priesthood, or anything else in between. All of it was an incomplete picture of what was coming. And I I said we could do a year-long series on all of that, all the ways in which Jesus' sacrifice showed up before it ever even happened. Um... And I hope that this would be a primer for you to go and see even more deeply for yourself the beauty of God's story. Um, But in short, in one sentence, 
the scriptures are like Marvel end credit scenes on steroids. You guys know what I'm talking about. Like Marvel always gets you with the end credit scene, uh, the after credit scene. Uh, people that leave, you laugh at them because you're like, man, they're about to drop a bomb and tell us what's happened next. And then it always helps you put the pieces together. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you think I'm crazy, but it's fine. Um, yeah, God does that, but on an infinitely more impressive and significant scale in his story that he outlined in the scriptures. He's constantly putting the dots together for us as we ultimately witness the culmination of all of human history in one moment where the Son of God laid down his life to redeem what was lost. And so we must not take for granted that our redemption is fully dependent on God, that it is intended to restore us to himself, and that it came at a high price, a price so high that it required a perfect sacrifice in Jesus. And friends, Jesus is the only one who could redeem us. God's story is the only story that really matters in the end. And it is the most beautiful story that we could ever believe. So friends, don't buy into a different story. Don't even buy into the church attender Jesus person story. Like, buy into God's story. Because God's story is the only one that matters. The world will try to offer you so many things. Even the Christian life, like I just said. You could show up here every week and you're living in a sad story because you're not depending on God's promise. You're saying it with your mouth, but you're not depending on it. And so as these stories come before you and you think about where you're at, where your story is right now, don't leave God out of it. Come and step into his story. Come be a part of the kingdom of God and figure out what part he wants you to play. Stop settling for the kingdoms of this world and stop trying to write your own sad story. The plan for redemption continues. on the mouths of imperfect people. The, the plan for redemption continues through the gospel on the mouths of imperfect people. Jesus calls the redeemed to join in on the greatest story of all time. He says, go therefore and make disciples. He says, baptize them in his name. He says, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And he says that he will be with us. It's all about him. It's all about him. It's not about us. He does all the work. He bears all the burden. And we, with all of our unworthiness and all of our brokenness, we just get to join in with God in bringing redemption to the world. I know some of you have come up to me and you say, man, I go to a Christian school, but none of my friends, Nobody there is a Christian. Join in on God's story and bring that story to them. 
I know you're counting the cost, some of you, of following Jesus. You feel this tug on your heart to give up your life for Christ, but you're like, it's going to cost a lot. It's going to cost me my friends. It's going to cost me my reputation. It's not about your name. See this story as the best story there ever is. And hop into it and tell people about how beautiful it is. I want to give you guys some encouragement. I know I've said a lot of like examples of stories that our generation is clinging to, and, and there's so many people who don't believe this story. And it can be really discouraging for those of you who know it. Um, but I want to give you this. Be- even though godless narratives dominate our world, guys, there's good news because Gen Z, like a large majority of Gen Z, is open to spirituality and God. They are willing to engage in those conversations. And so, man, I just believe that there is a harvest of people who are hungry and searching for this story that we believe. And so for those of you who, th- who look at, I'm going to follow Jesus, but all my friends are out here living a complete opposite way, Man, don't let that stop you. Go find the ones that are hungry and tell them about Jesus and then do life together and live in the greatest story there ever is. Let that be an encouragement. And then here's another one for the future. Gen Alpha is about to join high school. The oldest people in Gen Alpha are 12 and 13, so they, they'll be in high school soon. And Friends, Gen Alpha is going to be the largest generation in the history of the world. And so would we be people who pray fervently that God would move powerfully in this generation and continue his story of redemption through us as we step out in boldness to share about it with our peers and then learn how to lead the next generation to Christ? I just believe there's a huge generation that needs this story. And the funny part about it, friends, is that man, God does, God does not need us. God could do it so much better without me. God could accomplish his plan of redemption so much better without me, so much better without you, because we, we're unworthy. We got our brokenness. But that's the cool part about it is that he delights to use us. We can be his kid and he can be our father and our father delights when we join in the family business of redeeming the world. He could do it way better if I wasn't there. But he delights to use us. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would drive deep shafts into the heart of students in this room, God. Convict us about the ways 
that we have disobeyed, that we have walked away, that we have believed other stories. For the ways that we've missed it, because we miss it every day. But God, we just want to be a part of it. We just want to be a part of what you're doing. God, I pray that you would raise up leaders in this room to carry the story that you are writing. I pray that we would see revival in this generation and the next. God, I believe the, the next generation is the more, most important generation of the church. And Jesus, we just need you. We just need you, God.